0: How little sympathy and kindness there are in the world. Nellie Bly. Hello, witches, women, and other magical listeners. I'm Hannah, the bipolar bisexual host of this bi weekly podcast of Witches and Women. Of Witches and Women is a her story podcast in which I explore the lives and histories of women forgotten, ignored, and misrepresented. This season of the podcast will include interviews with amazing women in medicine today, as well as the stories of women who made medicine in the beginning and who have improved it all along the way. Women healers have historically been some of the first to be labeled as witches and the first to be oppressed, tortured, killed, and used for their power and knowledge by men. This season, we are honoring our magical legacy as caregivers, life bringers, and healers, and embracing ourselves through witchcraft, medicine, and empowerment. Be sure you and your coven are subscribed to the pod on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify, and connect with your sisters through the Of Witches and Women Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, or Facebook. If you haven't visited the website yet, go to ofwitchesandwomen.com today to subscribe to the Oracle newsletter, explore the magical artwork in the Grimoire Gallery, listen to and source check episodes in the Lamia Library, and buy wicked merch in the shop. This season of the Of Witches and Women podcast is sponsored by Lua Ray Clothing. Lua Ray Clothing is a women owned and operated small boutique. Check out their online shop stocked with high quality women's clothing that is flattering, comfortable, current, and inclusive by visiting luaray.com. That's L U A R A E.com today. When you shop their seasonal collections, use the promo code WITCHES1515 at checkout for a 15% discount. If you see something you love, order now because their collections sell out super fast, and we get that special discount. Our guest today is Rissa Harper. Rissa works in an emergency room as an evaluator for incoming psychiatric patients. Rissa has a master's in social work, three beautiful children, and an incredibly generous heart. Which is, I introduce to you, Rissa Harper. I have to say, your job sounds like one of my dream slash nightmare jobs at the same time. Just as I was thinking about it,
1: and now I get to find out. <laughs> it's probably a pretty accurate description, like for most days in an ED, like it is like a dream job, and then there are nightmare <laughs> scenarios and nightmare days more often probably than I should admit. Yeah, that would be really hard yeah it, it has its days for sure and especially like with COVID and everything I think it's really changed the environment
0: oh for sure I'm sure anxiety is spiking it is around my house so
1: <laughs> yeah I think everybody's feeling it and I think especially people that um, were kind of white knuckling it before that maybe had mental health issues but were managing it somewhat I think COVID was just enough to kind of Mm -hmm. you know, knock them off their game to the point that they just have to kind of throw in the towel and go, okay, I'm not okay. I can't do this anymore.
0: For sure. To fact check your job title, you're a mental health therapist, correct?
1: Right. So technically what they call us in um, the emergency department is assessment and referral. Mm -hmm. But the qualifications for that would be that you need to be a mental health clinician.
0: Marissa, tell us what your job uh, encompasses?
1: Oh, it, it changes pretty frequently and depending on the day what we have to do, but the basic um, gist of it is that any patient who comes through the emergency department with any kind of uh, mental health need, whatever that might be, um, they get an assessment. So that's that assessment piece of that. Um, so we do a mental health assessment for all of those patients. It has to be ordered by a physician, and We go in and assess them, and the big thing that we're assessing and looking for is whether or not they need inpatient psychiatric treatment, and that's the referral component. So Mm -hmm. for inpatient psychiatric treatment, we're looking for um, suicidal ideation, homicidal ideation, and an acute psychotic episode. And so any patient who comes in who might need inpatient psychiatric treatment were their first step. They pretty much can't access it without it. There's a couple exceptions to that. But for the most part, that is most people's first step towards inpatient psychiatric treatment. Very cool.
0: So um, you are not, you know, just walking around the emergency room or anything. Like you're a specialized department. Doctors have to contact
1: you and then you go out and do your part yeah yeah they order the physician orders a referral and ultimately we make um, a recommendation to that physician of what we think should happen with that patient and then the physician incorporates it as part of their care plan cool very cool
0: i have some ideas on this but i'm curious to see uh, from somebody with a lot more experience tell me why this particular job um, or, why this section of like emergency room work is so so very important.
1: Well, there's lots of reasons that it's important, but I think the biggest reason is that people who are in crisis, especially for a mental health crisis, uh, they're there in the emergency department because they didn't have anywhere else to go. It, it's typically a last resort or an old resort and you know at at the risk of sounding dramatic for a lot of these people it is you know fairly life and death and so to have people in the emergency department that can speak to that and and recognize that makes a big difference
0: definitely a lot of times we may not just like think of that in our minds when we think of an emergency room it's like oh I you know broke a bone really badly or having a heart attack or a gunshot wound because those are you know, the sort of more dramatic ideas, but it like mental health illnesses are very like life and death as well. And if you get to that point where that's, you know, that's all that you have left, (laughs) that's pretty, that can be
1: scary. Well, I'm sure it's terrifying. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's a lot of vulnerability there and, um, to really recognize that risk and that fear for people and to recognize that there's a large percentage of the population that are going to be in that situation and there's not a lot of stop, um, stop gaps between their normal life and that crisis point like there's this mm-hmm. big gap and so they end up there and they're really there's not a lot of other resources or opportunities for them and so it's pretty important
0: definitely I um hmm. I recently had to switch psychiatrists because we moved and I've been putting it off. I'm like, I have six months of medicine. So, you know, I don't, I can wait. You cannot wait because then COVID hit and (laughs) then of course nobody was accepting new patients and Mm -hmm. it can, it could escalate to that point really quickly, like between um there was like an insurance gap between my old insurance and my new one and then I was like okay I'll wait and then COVID hit and so you couldn't see anyone and if I hadn't been like lucky and persistent in standing up for myself and my needs and just like known them I feel like a lot of people don't you can't identify you can't diagnose yourself (laughs) it's not how it works um like that could definitely be really problematic
1: and,
0: like dangerous for people
1: so. well and especially considering the fact that you had insurance that's a huge piece of it because mm-hmm. that really opened up i'm sure what providers you would have been eligible to see but if you had um, medicaid or medicare or you know the worst case scenario would be no insurance mm-hmm. um you know your your resources are already pretty limited, and then to throw in the pandemic, people weren't accepting patients, um, or when they were only seeing them um, via telehealth, and maybe if you're in that income bracket, you don't have those kind of resources. We saw people that were just really kind of shut out of the healthcare system, um, mm-hmm. really for anyone's fault, but just due to the situation at hand, there wasn't a system for these people.
0: Absolutely, um, I would love. Everyone who, like, feels stuck or wants to, like, go get therapy, like, see somebody talk about it, see if there's an issue, but the reality is we can't, like, insist everybody do that as a solution because, you know, like you said, there's insurance issues, there's cost issues, there's, um, yeah, just, like, that feeling of being stuck, and then all of a sudden with the pandemic, bam, it just, like, escalated for everyone, from mm-hmm. you know, maybe they were at a seven stress wise, but they were handling it as best they could to an eleven. <laughs>
1: just overnight, yeah. You no, know, we hear from so many people that you know they'll come in and they're really embarrassed, or you know they'll try to talk themselves out of it, and they're like, "I, I really feel like I should just be able to handle this. Like normally, I would be able to handle this." And I'm, you know, we all just kind of think like. Well, I totally believe you because you probably normally could, but these aren't normal times and none of us are, you know, equipped to handle this. Like, I didn't get a pandemic handbook in school, you know, like we're all struggling and that's okay. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Soft topic, but all of these commercials recently that are like, in these trying times, um, you know, for selling cars and whatnot, they make me think of those uh, like 1960s. Com, uh, not commercials, but those like videos you'd watch in school that are like duck and cover. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. So it feels like to me, but without the information about how to duck and cover, I guess it's you know wash your hands. Yeah, wash your hands doesn't
1: really help with the mental health aspect though, which is no, it does not. Because it's true that mm-hmm. it is it's, it's duck and cover, but yet you don't really know how. Oh. Yeah. So,
0: I am just, like, assuming that you probably don't have, like, a typical day in the life, like, oh, I go in, I do this, then I do this, as every case must be, like, different and nuanced. So, um, instead of, like, a day in the life, give me an example of, like, maybe a more um, mundane case and, like, maybe something, like, crazy. Or, like, whoa, I can't believe that happened.
1: So, you're right. There's, there's really not a typical day. There are typical procedures. So typical procedure is I'll get a call from the emergency department um, that a patient has come in and a physician has ordered a referral. And so kind of from that point, you, you want to pull any records that you can on that patient see if they've been through the system before, if, if they're a known quantity for us because sometimes there are names that you're like, Oh, I know this person. And, you know, this is the third time this week and um those kind of names, so you're, you're kind of drawing all of that information, and then you're going out there, and we have um, an assessment that we're going through for kind of basic information, but at the same time, um, you're looking for things that aren't in the assessment, and sometimes they're fun, sometimes they're sad, sometimes they're scary. Um, I always really enjoy, not that I, you know, laugh at people's problems or um, don't understand the reality of what they're they're going through or try to emphasize empathize with that but you gotta in this job you gotta find your last where you can and I really enjoy people who are like actively psychotic and actively actively delusional because it's just funny like people don't pick their delusions and they're just some comical ones like um I had one recently that he his delusion was he was Darth Vader's father and, you know, very, very committed to that delusion and all sorts of things that go along with that. And yes, they're very sick. And, you know, yes, you do your best to get them help. But I don't think I'd be human if I didn't enjoy that. Like, just just a tiny bit. Yeah,
0: in the moment. And then you fix it.
1: Yeah. You start that process. So well, that's a fun
0: one. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I, I can see... Um, the sort of appeal like obviously like you said we don't pick to be delusional or what the, our delusions would be but sort of that escaping reality moment like I'm just gonna jump into Star Wars because
1: that's a more stable universe
0: at this point
1: <laughs> yeah for whatever reason you know whatever people end up picking it's just there's always kind of a comedic element it feels like and you know you have to yeah, have to laugh at that and the thing that we always say is we're like we you can't make this stuff up like the stories are just too good sometimes
0: awesome and then what would um like a less sort of extreme case be you know if somebody came in not as like presenting with symptoms
1: so you'll get a lot of people that come in that um Maybe they just feel down or depressed and, you know, they're just looking for resources or whatever. And then you kind of get through your assessment and you start realizing like, okay, this person is really sick and they've really been, you know, white knuckling it for a while. So like a typical case like that would be, um, like a mom that comes in, we get a lot of like postpartum moms or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, moms that are just really struggling right now. And they tend to come in and and minimize and you know just want some resources. But the reality is they're they're human too and they can end up being in need of some treatment as well.
0: Absolutely. It's super important. I definitely feel and have seen people trying to minimize those things. But Mm -hmm. there's no shame in like getting more than just resources. And we always just talking.
1: No, we always joke about it like among colleagues and stuff, like, when we make mistakes, like, we're all just, you know, a day away from a day in the psych ward, and and the reality is, like, it's true, we're all just a bad day away from it. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Some some of us just haven't had our bad day yet.
0: (laughs) For sure. Um, In terms of mental health, uh, if you had, like, a genie wish, and you could fix one thing that you see commonly through work uh what would you just sort of wave your magic wand and fix
1: oh so it's semi mental health related but it's a population that gets like lumped in Mm -hmm. with mental health and that is um the developmentally delayed and the autistic community because that particular population of clients aren't necessarily served by are well-served by inpatient psychiatric treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, there is not, um, there's not resources. There's not a community for them. Like they've kind of been shuffled into the mental health community because we're in the best position to serve these patients. But that's not to say that it's serving them well or the best place for them to be, but there's just nothing else. So literally every weekend I run into that Um where people in the developmentally delayed population or the autistic population have just reached the end of their service road and there there is nowhere else for them and oftentimes like we don't have good answers for them so yeah if i had a magic wand i I'd, I'd build a resource community for them
0: that is a really good point and to that point that's something that i would never think of and i'm sure a lot of people which is why which is why we need it with our genie
1: wish yeah cool it's not something i would have thought of but you you see it a ton in the Mm -hmm. emergency department
0: and then you realize oh there's a huge gap in the system (laughs) massive massive gap so then what are the like research is there something
1: that you can refer them to now or not there's not really good resources There's really not. I mean, especially um, if they're a particularly difficult patient, as far as like, are they um, physically aggressive? Are they, you know, Mm -hmm. super low IQ? There's there's really not. And so oftentimes it's having those conversations with family of like, well, this might be the best way to manage it. But we recognize that that's not to say that it's a good way to manage it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really sad because as a clinician, you always feel like you have your toolbox and you have your resources and it's just figuring out. What one um, a patient needs, and you feel like you always have something to offer. But with that population, we really there are plenty of times that you just have to kind of admit that your toolbox is empty.
0: Mhm, and they need a different kind of specialist that I'm sure is more difficult to find.
1: Very very difficult.
0: Yeah. Mhm. Interesting. So then, um, you're sort of early. You're an early part of the intervention stages. Um, Do you ever get to see or
1: follow up with patients once they've been referred on? Yeah. So um, patients get referred to inpatient psychiatric treatment. And for us locally, um, the facility that they can get sent to, I pick up just some, whenever they needed extra help or they have like overflow, I'll go over and, and help. And so oftentimes they'll get to reconnect um, with patients that I've seen in the emergency department a few days later, um, and that's not to say that they're better by then, but of kind of their peak moment of crisis has passed, and that's kind of nice because then, as you go in and um, you work with them and assess them, you're able to kind of delve into um, and what might lead to this problem being fixed. Where, right? like, is there a problem right now to keep mm-hmm. you safe? So yeah. I
0: imagine that must be rewarding sometimes to be able to see some of
1: those moments as well yeah it's kind of fun and it's always nice when they um, remember you or recognize you because people in crisis don't think very clearly so sometimes you feel like you're working really hard to build a connection or really trying to help this patient but like do they remember and sometimes they do which is nice
0: oh that is nice yeah well thank you for your very very important work (laughs) um it's something that we don't talk about enough, but we need to, um, to sort of get rid of that stigma. So hopefully some people can get help before they get to that emergency room level. And for everybody who needs to get to that level, you are there. Other people are there. They have that help and assistance, which is really important.
1: So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, thank you.
0: Nellie Bly was a rare jewel in the late 1800s. You see, she was a woman and a journalist. Not a gossip columnist or a housekeeping columnist, but a journalist. At the age of 21, she wrote to the Pittsburgh Dispatch to counter a grossly misogynistic article. Impressed with her letter, the editor hired her to work as an investigative reporter under the pen name Nellie Bly. Nellie was the real deal. She kicked off her intense investigative work doing six months undercover in Mexico, exposing the dangers of living under the rule of dictator Porofino Diaz. Nellie then moved to New York, accepting a position at the New York World edited by Joseph Pulitzer. As a new reporter in New York, Nellie took on an investigation that many more seasoned reporters had shied away from. For thousands of years, mental illness was viewed as a sin. Just like the blind man in the Bible was blamed for the sins of his parents by the Pharisees, the ignorant continue to fear what they cannot understand, and to blame mental illness in particular on sins and demons. So it's no surprise that in the early days of psychological practice, insane asylums were seldom safe or humane. Some asylums were worse than prisons, and Blackwell Island Asylum was the most Feared asylum in New York. With so much stigma attached to mental illness and so little understood of the causes and treatments, Nellie agreed to get herself admitted to Blackwell and report on the conditions in the feared and mysterious asylum. Nellie started at a boarding house where she wandered the streets refusing to sleep and shouting. Then in court she told the judge she was an immigrant with amnesia. First, Nellie was sent to Bellevue Hospital where the inmates were fed spoiled rations and treated very poorly. She was diagnosed Diagnosed with dementia and when she didn't improve she was loaded onto a ferry and sent to Blackwell Island. Blackwell was built to house 1,000 patients but when Bly arrived in 1887 there were more than 1,600 patients locked inside against their will. There were only 16 doctors on staff and they treated Blackwell not as a place to seek healing but as an ethics-free experimental black hole. They could do whatever they wanted in the name of treatment and no one was there to question them or hold them accountable. Ice baths and then remaining in their freezing wet clothes was one of the most common treatments. So were timeouts, so to speak, where the patient was forced to sit perfectly still, straight and silent for hours on end. Those who complained and resisted were beaten and at the very least threatened with sexual violence. Bly quickly learned just how appropriate her cover story was. Most inmates were not suffering from mental illness, rather they were immigrant women who had been caught in a judicial system where they couldn't understand the languages and it was a culture they were unfamiliar with. However, the trauma of the asylum was certainly enough to inflict many with mental illnesses like PTSD, anxiety, and depression. Bly took statements and stories from other patients in between her treatments, and when her editor showed up with her release paperwork, Nellie was able to write a truly shocking expose. By the time authorities showed up to inspect the asylum, many patients had been transferred and the hospital was temporarily cleaned up for the inspection. While Blackwell tried to hide their inhumane practices, A grand jury still indicted the hospital and granted money to fund translators and better food and care and fired the most abusive doctors and nurses, based on Nellie's testimony. However, the process of mental health care reform is still very much a work in progress. Nellie Bly acted as a catalyst through her bravery and honesty, and she became one of the most prominent journalists of her time. Nellie went on to do several more famous exposés in her career. In her 30s, Nellie retired from journalism to care for her dying husband and run his Iron mill. She was also a businesswoman, growing the company's success and creating patents for better products. However, the company eventually went bankrupt due to corrupt employees' embezzlement. Nellie, now a widow, returned to her first love, journalism reporting heroically from the Eastern Front during World War I and the beginnings of the U.S. suffragette movement in 1913. Nellie is a shining example of how freedom of speech can be utilized for good and for truth. Now more than ever, integrity from our journalists and our choice to believe facts science, and history is vital to maintaining a functional world. In 2017, the Museum of Political Corruption established the Nellie Bly Award in recognition of the role investigative reporting plays in rooting out high-level corruption and exposing flaws in social justice. Additionally, Nellie was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1998, and the New York Press Club bestows an annual Nellie Bly Award on an emerging journalist. Today's mental health facilities are still marred by the cruelties of the past and the underfunding and lack of accountability in the present. In the United States, there are few safe, affordable options for the public to utilize. There are, however, many excellent private institutions. And in other countries like Australia, mental health care is subsidized, including 10 free therapy sessions a year, which can be excellent preventative care. The sooner we all as a society recognize that mental health is just as fundamental to our health and happiness as other healthcare rights, the sooner we can embrace mental health reforms, better funding, acceptance, and treatments. Witches, let's talk shop, specifically the Of Witches and Women shop. If you haven't explored the website yet, you need to. Go to ofwitchesandwomen.com to see show notes, sources for each episode, in the Lamia Library, and in the Grimoire Gallery, you'll find beautiful witchy artwork by contemporary artists, and you can link to their personal sites. And of course, on every page of ofwitchesandwomen.com, you can sign up for the Oracle newsletter for obscure stories, artist biographies, and exclusive content. Of course, please, please visit the Of Witches and Women shop. The podcast shop is full of fun merchandise from stickers for the whole coven, to organic reusable cotton tote bags, to magic color changing mugs for your tea, to t-shirts, tank tops, etc. There's something for everyone at the Of Witches and Women shop. Plus, when you shop at Of Witches and Women, I get a little bit of money to keep this podcast running. And of course, this season, all of the Witches Made Medicine merchandise will have proceeds sent to a healthcare organization of our choice that we will choose over the summer. So get your Witches Made Medicine merch today. For today's spell for a quiet mind, all you'll need is a piece of paper and a pen with blue ink. Write down three self-affirmations, read them aloud, and then tuck the paper somewhere near your front door, like under the mat or the door frame. Every time you enter or exit, touch the paper to remind yourself of these affirmations. That's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure you and your coven are subscribed to of Witches and Women on Apple or Google Podcasts, Stitcher or Spotify, and please, please, please write me a magical review on your podcast app so others can find and enjoy the show as well. Thank you for listening and sharing and making My day is a little bit more magical as I'm able to research and write these incredible stories. Be sure to connect to the pod on social media and look up ofwitchesandwomen.com for even more great content. Stay fierce, witches. I'll catch you next time. Of Witches and Women is brought to you by SHH Media, LLC.